0: this evening is Matthew 11:25 through 30. Let us read that together. Turning to verse 25, at that time Jesus declared, "I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father" This is the word of God. Let us pray. God, I pray that you would open our hearts this evening. Pray that you would use my voice and my words, limited as they are. May you communicate to us together your truth, more of who you are, so that may we, may, we may grow in you and know you more. We glorify you. We pray all this in Jesus name. Amen. So as we come to the text in the book of Matthew, the first thing I want to do is I want to take a step back and I want to look at the context that we're looking in. So Matthew, of course, is written by Matthew. He was one of the 12. He was a tax collector by trade. And his gospel, the gospel of Matthew, is one that is most commonly known as the one that had most Jewish things at heart and in mind when it was written. So when we read the book of Matthew, we have a lot of that Jewish context when we're reading it. Because that's who Matthew was writing it for. He was writing it for the Jewish people. So as we look at this tonight, that's kind of the overall, the overarching framework that Matthew's coming from. He's coming at it as a Jew to his brethren, to his countrymen, saying this is the gospel. He's speaking to them about current things going on in a way that they can understand. So to look at the chapter as a whole, the chapter 11 of the book of Matthew, we can kind of see some distinct parts. So coming into chapter 11, Matthew tells us that Jesus had just told the 12. He had given them responsibilities. He says, go out into the cities. This is how I want you to go out. This is how I want you to teach. And so Jesus is giving instruction to the 12. And then as we go into chapter 11, We have an interesting part where John the Baptist, who we read about at the beginning of the Gospels, he comes back onto the stage, so to speak, and he's now in prison. And John is apparently experiencing doubt. He's not sure anymore, because we can read back at the beginning when John baptizes Jesus. You can say, look, this is, you know, I see the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. This is the one. And now here in 11, he tells his disciples, go. And ask him, are you really it, or are we looking for someone else? And Jesus confirms it. He says, yes, I am the one. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So he sends them back, encourage John. And so he turns from speaking to the disciples of John, and he speaks to the people around him, and he tells them about John. He tells them, this is a man of all those born of women. None is greater than John, is Jesus' words about John. And Jesus then says, however, that the least of the citizens of heaven, that they are greater than John. So that's a whole other thing to unpack there. But the important thing is, as Jesus points to John, he says, this is my messenger. This is a prophet who declares good things about God. He declares truth about me. Listen to John. And then he takes an interesting turn. We go down to verses 18, excuse me, 16 through 24. And Jesus tells the people that John was rejected by them. He in 16, he says, but to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking. And they say he has a demon. The son of man came, Jesus, eating and drinking. And they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus says. You rejected John and you rejected Jesus. You rejected the truth. And then verse 20 through 24, he turns to the cities in which he had performed his greatest works. He says, you have rejected me. You've rejected my works. You've rejected the things that I have done. And he says that even he compares Capernaum, the city in uh, in that area of Palestine at that day, a place where he performed many miracles he compares it to Sodom, and he says that if I had done the same things in Sodom that I had done in you, they would have repented. So it's a, it's a really interesting passage, and this is the context into which we come into verse 25 through 30. We're coming out of Jesus speaking to the people and saying, you rejected me. You rejected John. You rejected what we said, and it didn't matter how we came to you with it because John came with a completely different style of ministry. Than I did. We both proclaimed the truth, but proclaimed it in a different way, and we were both rejected by you. And so, this is this is what we're coming out of when we go into the passage that we're looking at this evening. So, 25 through 30, we can break this up into three distinct parts. 25 through 26, it is a prayer of thanksgiving, Jesus to the Father. Verse 27. He makes a declarative statement about God. And then 28 through 30, he makes an appeal. He says, come to me. So we're going to kind of break it up in that way. And we're going to look at it in that in that way. Those three parts. So first, we're going to be looking at his prayer of Thanksgiving. This is 25 through 26. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them. To little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So remember what we're coming out of. We're coming out of Jesus saying, you didn't listen to me and you didn't listen to John. So Jesus then turns to the Father and says, I thank you because you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. So let's, let's look at that a little bit. Let's first look at the wise and the understanding. So, of course, again, the immediate context were those that rejected Jesus and his truth and those that followed him. And who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the people that he came to speak to, the Jewish people first. Right. That's who he's talking to in this immediate context. And again and again, throughout the Gospels, we find that the conflict that Jesus most often runs into is with the religious leaders of that day. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, they're consistently Butting heads because the Pharisees come and they say, no, this is the law. This is how you read it. Jesus isn't keeping the law. Therefore, he's not who we're looking for. And so they come to Jesus over and over and they say, what does Jesus say? What they're saying, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so they reject him. And so if if we think of the people in that day, the wise and understanding, there would have been none more wise and understanding than these, the Pharisees and religious leaders. They were raised from birth to know the scripture. They knew it, many of them, great parts of it by heart. Like they would memorize great parts of the Torah, the first five books, the law, also the prophets. They knew these things. They could, they could recite them by heart. They knew it. Not only that, but they had the experience in it that they had From day one, been in the temple. They had been at the festivals. They had experienced the rituals and the sacrifices. They know all of it. Wise and understanding people. And so Jesus turns it on his head and he says, no, the experts in this case have got it wrong. It's hidden from them. They don't see it. They don't see the truth. They don't see me for who I am. And it's an incredibly absurd, almost, statement. Because if you compare that to any other situation, it falls apart. If you're going in, perhaps you have like a medical procedure or something like that. And you go in, you're sitting in the room, you're waiting, and perhaps the doctor comes in, the surgeon, and they're really, really young. You can tell that, okay, they haven't been doing this for very long. Right. And so you you kind of you may be on the verge of saying, like, can I talk to someone else? Because you want to you want to speak to someone that has knowledge and experience about what they're talking about, because you assume that means that they know they know what they're talking about. And you can compare that to anything else. You don't want that same surgeon to come in and redo the plumbing in your house because he doesn't probably unless he's moonlighting as a plumber. He doesn't have that knowledge and understanding that someone who has been trained in that, who has the knowledge and understanding of that trade. And so Jesus here says that, hey, everybody, all of the people that you've been looking to for religious guidance all your life, they don't see me. They reject me because they don't know me. And then Jesus says something even more remarkable. That this truth has been revealed to who? To little children. If you think of little children, they're at the opposite end of the spectrum of these Pharisees and Sadducees. The Pharisees and Sadducees, they had the wisdom, they had the knowledge, they had the experience, they had everything. And then on the other end, you have, you know, the little, the little children you know, I know with, with my children that there's all kinds of things that every day you have to, we've entered the age of why. Why is this? Why is that? And you have to answer all these questions all the time because they don't know. They're, they're little children, right? They lack understanding. They lack experience in the world. Whenever you go up to a road, you say, you have to say like, hey, hold my hand. It's not safe because you have to teach them, right? You have to teach them to know the things that are going on around them. And not only that, you have that whole aspect where little children, their brains are still in development, right? I read a study recently where they really don't think that your brain is fully developed until you're 25. And for guys, it can take a little longer. Uh, we won't go into that. Um, but, but there, there, there's that whole other aspect too the simplicity of children where they're growing and they're learning, but they don't they don't really know anything yet. Right. And so Jesus comes in and he says. In the kingdom of heaven, it's the other way around. What's revealed to the little children is the truth of who I am and they can see me for who I am and they can accept the truth because it's, because it has been revealed to them. However, those with the wisdom and understanding, they, they don't see. And I'm, I'm so thankful that God, when he comes to us, when Jesus came, it was already such an enormous, incomprehensible step for him to step down from heaven and to come to earth and to be on our level. But not only did he come down here to where we're at, he went to the very bottom, right? Right? He went to people that didn't have any understanding or knowledge. They didn't have all of the experience and the wisdom of the world. He went to the very bottom and he says, these are mine. These are my little children. What a gracious, good God that we serve. We can see this borne out even in Acts 4.13. Jesus at this point has ascended. And the apostles are doing ministry in Jerusalem. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they take them into the temple and they essentially put them on trial. They say, you can't go around saying these things about Jesus. And Peter goes into, basically he proclaims the gospel. And it says here in Acts 4.13, the response of those that heard it. Now when they perceived the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. God didn't come and make 12 Pharisees his apostles. He came and took regular people, Peter, James, John, fishermen, Matthew, of course, a tax collector. You wouldn't think that Jesus would come and say, you know, what I really want on my team is a guy from the IRS. You know, but that's essentially what he did. He came and he he picked Matthew for this calling. So it's a remarkable, remarkable, amazing thing. So then we go on to verses 27, or excuse me, 26. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. So there's two, ter- two words to look at here. There's will and gracious. If we look at will. We can see that you know, when Jesus is proclaiming woe against the unrepentant cities in the previous verses, When he's talking about what's going on now, that it's not like this just popped up and Jesus is like, what do I do? No one's listening to me. No, this was the definite plan of God. It says that the Father's plan was that Christ would be rejected as foolishness by the learned and understanding and revealed his life to the little children. So it was God's will. Not only that, but it was gracious. Again, God did not reveal the reality of the gospel to humanity, even in even in its most capable form, but revealed it to us in our most humble form. So that there is Jesus speaking directly to the father, right? So now he turns in verse 27, he turns to the people around him and he speaks directly to them. And he makes a declarative statement about God. A word Pastor Tony would like would be an indicative statement, right? It's, he's making a statement about God. He's revealing a truth about who he is. So verse 27, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So there's a couple things to note here. So first, all things have been handed over to me by my father. So the first thing to take away from that is that all God's authority is in Christ, right? Jesus is Lord over all things, full stop, because the father has said it is so. Not only that. But coming out of verse 26, speaking about the gracious will of the father, we find that when all things have been handed over to the son. We find that the son is the one who is working out the will of the father. That is what the son is here doing in Matthew right at that moment. He's working out the will of the father, that what the father had planned, the son is carrying out. Indeed, Jesus is working out the will of the Father. He is the agent by and through which the Father's gracious will comes to pass. So then we come to another remarkable passage where Christ says, No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Now, in this context, we know that this is flowing right out of Jesus saying that to the father. I thank you because these things have been hidden from the wise and understanding and revealed to little children. So that is what Jesus is here doing. He's revealing to the little children the reality of who God is. And then we come to the final portion which is 28 through 30 so we have gone from christ praying a prayer of thanksgiving to the father to god making a statement to us about the father and then in 28 through 30 he's making an appeal to us right he says come to me all who labor and are heavy laden And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. So who he is speaking to here, we know from the context He's speaking to who his little children, right? He's saying, come to me. Jesus refers to himself in other places as the good shepherd. And in John ten twenty five through 27, he again is speaking to the people around him. He says, I told you and you do not believe the works that I do in my father's name, bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. So here Jesus is calling his sheep, come to me. And it's interesting because the final portion of that kind of parallels exactly what we're talking about tonight. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And if we read 25 through 30, we read in 25 that the little children... They hear right. It's revealed to them and they hear it and they understand it. The sheep hear the voice. The little children hear the voice. In 27, we read that no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. So the son reveals to the sheep, to the little children, this is who God is. And through his grace, we can know him and understand him. And then he says, and they follow me. And here in verse 28 of Matthew 11, we read, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So let's unpack that. All who labor and are heavy laden. That's probably one part that we understand best because we understand what it means to have burdens, right? The burdens of the world. The burdens of sickness, broken relationships, political strife, national emergencies, foreign wars. We understand burdens. Especially in this context, Jesus is speaking to people who are buried under the weight of an unkeepable law, especially under the hands, the fists of the Pharisees. It was a law that they couldn't keep, a burden that they couldn't carry. And so Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. What's his solution? You would think, at least in my mind, if you're laboring heavy laden, you've worked all day, maybe you've been carrying something around, the instinct there to have rest is just put it down, right? And then, and then you can rest. Jesus says here, verse 29, his solution is take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's an amazing statement. He doesn't just say, put it down and you're good. He says, take my yoke upon you. And if we think of the burden that Jesus, that Jesus carried, what did he carry? He carried the cross, right? He carried all our sin and the infinite wrath of God. He bore that for us. And so that's the burden that Christ has carried. And so your first instinct there is to say, How can I bear that burden when I can't bear the ones that I already have? And the best part is that Jesus already bore the burden. He already bore our sin. He already bore the wrath of the father. He carried the cross, right, to Golgotha. All the way there. And it reminds me of another passage, Luke 9 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. But Christ already bore the cross. So when he comes to us and he says, Take my burden, carry your cross. It's not one that says, do this or do that. It's not a burden that crushes you beneath it. It's a burden that he has already carried. So what he's telling us to do here is he's saying, come to me. Lay hold of the cross, lay hold of me. What does he say? For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. And in him we can truly rest. Because in him he has already borne all our burdens. He's already borne the cross. And in him we can rest. He says for my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. And that's because he carries it. For us So he appeals to us as his little children, as his sheep, come to me, follow me, and I will give you rest.